Thank you very much, Pastor, for having me again at your great church. I'm standing here with fear and trembling. Thank you, church, for allowing your pastor to come over to Romania about two years ago to teach in our university and seminary and preach in our church. He was a tremendous blessing to all of us. After our church and students and faculty met him, they said, this is amazing. He is so young, but he is such a deep and powerful and anointed preacher. Would love to have him again. Then the world came on a standstill and we couldn't have him for the last year, but we look for the greater things to come as we trust our God. Thank you, Church, for partnering with Emmanuel University and Seminary, supporting us in your prayer and in your generosity. As Pastor Jeff said, Emmanuel University is the only accredited conservative evangelical university on the entire continent of Europe. This is the grace of God. We have over 2,500 graduates in 40 countries of the world. Some of them are in restricted areas. Some of them are far away in the depth of Mongolia, Bangladesh, India. Some of them are way back in Africa. Some of them are in Siberia, Central Russia. Some of them are in the Middle East. Some of them are throughout Europe. We rejoice in what God is doing in them and through them. We rejoice as people get saved. We rejoice as the kingdom of God is expanding, regardless the circumstances. So thank you for being such a faithful and great partners to Emmanuel University, and thank you for allowing your pastor to come, and you blessed my heart when you said that you are ready to come again. We are ready to welcome you again, Pastor. Now, I know that this is a special weekend to you, and you are focusing on evangelists, so I pray that God will give me a message that will fit into what this great church is doing. So, may I invite you to open God's Word to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. This is an amazing story. A few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them, and since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this man talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking of in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? 
Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this and never did I. Have you seen something like this? Some people breaking the roof of your church and lowering down a paralyzed man? I never seen something like that. So what is all about? There are three words that I would like to point out this morning. They will help us to get through the message and apply it to ourselves. The first word is friends. The second is faith. And the third one is forgiveness. Friends, faith, and forgiveness. Now, friends are special people to each and every one of us. Friends are people we like. We spend time with them. We share our lives with them. Because we trust them. Friends are people that we trust. And we enjoy spending time with them. And because we trust them, friends have a significant impact on our lives. Friends do influence us. Now here, in the story that Marx tells us, we are in the town of Capernaum. That was the town where Jesus took for his time in the Galilean ministry. And in that town, there was a desperate man in a critical medical condition. He was paralyzed. Now, you know, when people are in that critical condition, they depend on someone else for everything. A paralyzed man cannot go to the grocery store to do his shopping. He cannot care for himself. A paralyzed man in those days without technology were completely depending on others. And he was living in the same city with Jesus. He had some friends. Amazing friends. Usually when people are in such desperate need, almost everybody wants to walk away. When you are in need, very few people would like to have you close to them. Actually, only Jesus in the whole universe is saying, come unto me, all you with heavy load. Those of you who are oppressed, those of you who have burdens. Jesus is the only one who is calling such people to himself. Now, these friends are unusual because they went to this paralyzed man and we do not know what they told him. But obviously, they have the talk. Probably they told him that Jesus is back in town. And said, now you know what? We came all the way here to take you with your stretcher and we take you across the city to the place where Jesus is. 
What is interesting is that these friends came to take their friend paralyzed, take him to Jesus. Because friends do have impact in our lives. They are helping us to go one way or the other. Now here is the point. Do you have friends? Where are your friends taking you? Do you have friends? Where do you take them? These friends took their paralyzed friends close to Jesus. Hear me well. Any friend that is taking you away from Jesus is not a real friend. It's your enemy. When someone is taking you away from Jesus, is taking you to the way of destruction, no matter how nice he speaks to you, no matter how polite that person might be, if that person takes you away from Jesus, that's a dangerous friend to have. These four friends, they all four came together and said, we are determined to take you to Jesus. Now, all four of them at the same time, very unusual friends. So they took him all the way to Jesus. Why? Why did they take this man to Jesus? Verse 5 gives us the clue. When they arrived there, it says that Jesus saw their faith. They faith, they were believers. They had a strong faith in Jesus and they were determined to take their friend to Jesus. Why by faith? Because faith is the highest way of knowing. Faith is a way of knowing. When we speak about epistemology, that's the science that help us to know how do we know what we know. How do you know what you know? So they will tell us that we know things by ration. We have reasons. We are rational beings. So our reasons help us to get to know things and we grow in knowledge and this is the rational scientific knowledge. Then they will say, we get to know things by experience. As we experience things, our knowledge increases. Then they will say that we get to know things by tradition. There is a tradition in science, there is a tradition in religion, and there is a tradition in society, culture. I said, tradition is helping us to get to know things. Others say we know by intuition. We intuit what is there. But this is quite a, a, a foggy way of knowing because it's not clear, it's not precise. So those are the means or the ways of getting to know what we know. But faith is above all of them. Because all the other's way of knowing will help us to know things that belong to the created order. Faith alone is the way of knowledge that helps us to know what is beyond the creation, to know the Creator. So when Jesus saw their faith, they were not people bound to earth. These were people that were looking beyond. And they saw something that helped them to take decisions. 
They saw the relationship. They could bridge the gap between Jesus and this friend of theirs who was in critical condition. So faith is a way of knowing. It's a supernatural revelation that enlightens our minds and we get to know things that those who do not have faith do not know it. I studied clinical psychology. I studied political science. And I had colleagues and professors who told me, well, we cannot believe. So I said, I'm sorry for you. That means that your knowledge is very limited. You limit yourself in your knowledge because you say that you cannot believe. But these people there in Capernaum, they had faith and they saw something that nobody else has seen at that time. And because they knew what nobody else knew, they saw the relationship that could be there between Jesus and this man. So they came and they grabbed him with a stretcher. Now imagine them. Walking with a paralyzed man with a stretcher, four corners, each one of each corner, walking through the cities of Capernaum. Hey, how are you doing? Well, we are going to see Jesus. Just imagine the rational people. You want to see Jesus? Makes no sense. Because rationally, if a man is paralyzed, is paralyzed, there's nothing to be done. Because either it's a brain damage or the spine cord is a section. So if it's paralyzed, it's done. That's the seal and that's for good. It makes no sense. Well, they met some other friends with knowledge of experience. Where do you go? We take our friend to see Jesus. Why do you take him there? Because we believe Jesus can do something. Well, had anyone else experienced that before? No. So then why do you take him to Jesus? Because we believe that Jesus could do something. Well, we're sorry for you. Just imagine those that will go with tradition. Where do you take him? We take him to Jesus. Why? Because we believe Jesus could do something for our friend. Well, look at the tradition. Has anyone in our tradition witnessed that something like that had happened sometime in the past? No. So then why do you take it to Jesus? It makes no sense. But they had faith and faith sees beyond. So because faith sees beyond, it takes and motivates actions that are way beyond the actions that others are ready to take. So they took their friend to Jesus. They got there and there was a big crowd. Now, just imagine that. They came all the way and they get there in the front of the house, the street, and said, well, excuse us. We came all the way to take our friend to Jesus and nobody will move. Did it ever happen to something to you that you wanted to get somewhere and nobody will make way for you to go? Well, sometimes we are in line either at the airport or somewhere and somebody just come and walk by all of us and go up front. And we're all frustrated. But these people were trying and nobody had mercy on them. So because they had faith, faith will be creative and dare to do something that people without faith will not do it. So what came to their mind is just walk up the roof and break the roof and get our friend down through the roof. Now, friends, imagine that Jesus was in your house. Would you welcome these people to break the roof of your house? Well, why did Jesus allow that? 
Because you see, Jesus is all-knowing. He knew that this was going to happen. Why didn't Jesus come up front and say, well, sorry, but I have to interrupt my sermon because these are people with great faith and they brought their friends and I do not want to let them do something else. Jesus didn't come up front. Jesus let them do and there was the house where Jesus was living. So they damaged the house where Jesus was living. Why? Because people are more, more important than things. People are more important than things. You know, some people are using people to get things and others are using things to, to win people. So these four friends were willing to break the roof because they knew they can fix the roof. But only Jesus could fix their friend. You can fix the roof, but only Jesus can fix your friend. So when everything was done, now imagine the moment when that stretcher came with the ropes and with all the debris there and the scribes and the Pharisees were on the front row. That was scandalous. Did it ever happen for someone to interrupt your church service? It happened to us during the communist days when the communists would break in and interrupt our services. But it's very unpleasant. So to interrupt a sermon when Jesus was preaching is very unusual. So everybody was looking to see now what's next. So the fellow was right, right there on the stretcher and Jesus said something surprising. Instead of saying, son, get up. Your faith has made you whole. Go home and God bless you. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Why would Jesus say that? You see, whenever we come to Jesus, forgiveness that Jesus offers is always in the priority line that God has for the whole human race. The greatest need we have, the greatest need I have is for my sins to be forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. When sins are upon us, we are in the greatest danger in the whole universe. With the sins upon our lives, we are under the judgment of the eternal righteous God. To stay with the sins upon you is the most risky life you can have. So Jesus, look at this man. They, he saw their faith as a son. You were brought by your friends all the way here. You allow your friends, you join in their faith to come here. Son, your sins are forgiven. The greatest gift he could get. Scribes and Pharisees were there. And they said, this is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Is this person playing God? Is he claiming that he can forgive sins? You see, they had no faith. They couldn't see beyond. They couldn't see that Jesus was not a mere man. He was fully man, but he was fully God. He was the son of God. But they, because they had no faith, they couldn't see that. So for them, there was blasphemy. Now, Jesus looked at them, 
because he knew their thoughts, because he is God. He knows my thoughts and your thoughts. He said, let me ask you a question. In your wisdom, in your judgment, what is easier to say? Son, your sins are forgiven, or son, get up, take your mat, and go home. What is easier to say? What do you think? What is easier to say? Is not what is easier to do, but what is easier to say? Well, from a human point of view, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can check on me. You have no way to check on that. So from a human perspective, to say your sins are forgiven, go in peace because you are forgiven. Who can, who can check on that? Who can say, no, that's not true. But from a human perspective, to say, get up and walk, everybody could see that. So if you say, get up and walk, and the fellow doesn't walk, that means you are a loser, you are a failure. So Jesus said, what is easier to say? And they will not answer. So Jesus said, now, because you think that saying your sins are forgiven is blasphemy, I want to demonstrate to you that the Son of Man has authority, has power to forgive sins on earth. So he turned again to the man and said, now, get up, get your mat, and go home. And something instantly happened. The fellow stood up on his feet, grabbed his mat, and he walked out of the building so everybody could see him. I worked for seven years in a psychiatric hospital. And we have the neurology section of the hospital. Now I know that a paralyzed person does not walk instantly, jump on his her feet and go home. That's, that's impossible from a medical perspective. So to have all the nervous circuits from the brain to the toes, to have all the muscles, to have all the joints, to have all of them working together in a split of the second. That's the power of the almighty God. So Jesus said, now, just for you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I make this demonstration to see that the Son of God has authority over the entire creation. He has authority over you and me. So the man walk up among all of them. And you know what they said? We have never seen something like this. But have we seen something that will still make sense that friends and faith and forgiveness brought together are making sense before Jesus? A graduate of our seminary was pastoring the church in Athens, Greece. So he invited me for an outreach weekend. I went with my wife, and we, have, we had the church meeting on Friday night, and we had a Saturday night, and now we were Sunday morning, and we were both on the platform. So he leaned toward me and said, 
Pastor, I'm trembling. I thought that he is not feeling well, so I said, do you need any help? He said, no, no, let me tell you. I do have a friend. And I have been praying for my friend every day for six years. But I haven't heard, I didn't know anything about him for a long time. So this morning when I had my prayer time, when I go through my prayer list, I came to his name and the thought came to my mind that I should take him out of my prayer list because I know nothing of him. But then he said another thought, I will pray for him just one more time and it will be today and that's of tomorrow, I will take him out of my prayer list. I said, Pastor, that friend of mine is here in the church this morning. I do not know where he came from. When I saw him, I began to tremble because this morning, there was the temptation that I will stop praying for him. That morning, his friend came to know Christ. You should have seen them at the end of the church service, hugging each other, sharing they, things together for six years. You may say, well, that's a long time to take your friend to Jesus in prayer every day for six years. One day, a short while ago, a lady from my church called me and said, Pastor, I don't want to disturb you, but I would appreciate if you come and visit us at home. Now, when somebody calls you and asks you to visit at home, the first thought that goes through the mind of a pastor is, is there a crisis there? So I said, well, excuse me, is there something uh, of a crisis uh, at home? He said, no, no, pastor. It's a great joy. He said, let me share with you. Fifty years ago, we married, my husband and I, we married. One year later, I came to know Jesus. For 49 years, I've been praying for my husband. Every day. This week, my husband got saved. So I invite you to come and we'll have a family prayer time and we'll rejoice and thank God that after 49 years, he heard my prayer. Friends, do you have friends? Where are your friends taking you? What kind of influence do your friends have upon you? What is your influence of them? Do you have friends who are unsaved? Now sometimes you can do that alone. Bring them to Jesus every day. But sometimes you may need a prayer group. You may need two or three or four others to join you in prayer. I can tell you story after story. Church members that came to us and said, I am committed to pray for my child, for my daughter, for my son, for my husband, for my wife, for my parents. We are committed to pray, but we need help. And we set up prayer groups, specifically with days of fasting and prayer. And after a number of years, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, we could say, well, we have seen great things. In miraculous way, God will work and open the hearts of those people to get saved. Do you have friends that are unsaved? Can you think of some other from the church that will join you 
and make it intentional to pray, to have days of fasting, for that person to come to know Jesus. Because we will not take them by stretcher. We'll take them by prayer. Because Jesus hears prayer. And the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I know that this is the time for reaching out. Next Sunday, we will have a baptism service in our church. The first one this year with the COVID restrictions will have the baptism. And among those who are baptized, there are all kinds of great stories. We have them all standing before the whole congregation and give the testimony how they come to know Jesus. Let me tell you one of them and then I will turn it over to the pastor. A young boy, a student from a non-Christian family. A young boy from a Christian family in our church came with his parents to church every Sunday. But he was not interested in spiritual things. He was not interested in Jesus. This son raised in a Christian family. So what he did was very mischievous. He approached his non-Christian friend and said, well, do me a favor. If you come with me to church, I will tell my parents that I'm interested in your salvation and we come to church and my parents will sit downstairs, we'll sit on the balcony. And as soon as the church starts, we go to town and we go to a movie theater or we go to a bar and we have fun. And by the time the church is uh, over, we come back to church and my parents will think that I'm a soul winner. So this is what they did. Sunday after Sunday, they came to church, pretend that they go up to the balcony. And as soon as the church started, they were out. They went to town. They had their thing there. They came by the time the church was over. And the parents were so blessed to see that their son is a soul winner. One Sunday night, they came to church. They went up to the balcony. And the boy from the Christian family said, no, let's walk because it's getting late. They said, no, 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 I'm not going tonight. Come on, man. You, you want to tell me that you want to stay here? Yeah, I'm staying here. Man, you lost your mind. I invited you here as a cover story for me, not to stay here. So the other decided that he will stay there. So the boy from the Christian family went to town. The other stayed there. That night, that person was saved. Now imagine the day come when he gave the testimony before the church. And he told what they have done. Can you imagine the story? Another story. A non-Christian family living in the same block of flats, apartments, neighbor with a Christian family from our church. They heard that we have a revival. So they decided that uh, Sunday to Sunday revival. They decided that they will come on the staircase at the time when they neighbor go to church and they will ask them, well, where are you going? And if they say, well, go to church, they were willing to say, can we join you? So Sunday night, 5.30, the Christian left the apartment, the non-Christian neighbors there, I said, good evening, good evening, where are you going? You are going to town. And the non-Christians were flat. Monday night the same. 
Where are you going? We are going to town. By Thursday night, the non-Christian neighbor said to his wife, you know what? I go by myself. They will not kill me. I go to see what's going on there. He came by himself. That night he was saved. He went home, told his wife. And his wife said, now, you know what? If this happened to you tomorrow night, I join you. So Friday night she came. She got saved. They joined the baptism class. And the day came for them to give the testimony before the church. And said, now, let us tell the whole church how we came to know Christ. We are the neighbors of so and so. We heard that there's a revival. And there was a burning desire in our lives. That they will invite us to join them. So we pretend to have something. And we got uh, there on the staircase I say, good evening, good evening, where are you going? We are going to town. And they told the whole story. Would you like to be in the shoes of that Christian family from our church? <laughs> Friends, those who are unsaved will come to understand if we truly love them. Because if we truly love them, we will do whatever it's possible to bring them to get to know Jesus. Friends, faith, forgiveness. Thank you very much. Back to you, Pastor. We have taken this weekend to try to kind of think about, as we talked about a few weeks ago, raising our eyes up again and reengaging the mission that God has for us. And I couldn't think of any better way for us to do that than for Dr. Paul to remind us of the truth of the Scripture. You know, God places people in our lives on purpose. It's not by accident. And the opportunities that we have with them are really divine appointments. We call them gospel engagements. I wonder if today perhaps you came and you're a friend who brought somebody. And God bless you for doing it. But maybe when you heard that story that Paul read from the scripture, you're really thinking about how you're kind of the, in the shoes of the paralytic. Somebody brought you here or you're not quite sure of who Jesus is. You haven't given your life to Christ. And for the last few months, we've been talking about what it means to know the gospel. The gospel is just this. There is a loving God who has loved us with an everlasting love. And to demonstrate that love for us, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place. The Bible says that we're all separated from God because of our sin. And that the only way for us to come to a relationship with God the Father is through Christ the Son. The Bible says if we'll ask God to forgive us of our sins and believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died in our place and rose again, that we'll be saved. I'm going to ask you to enter into a time right now of prayer with me. Would you bow your heads? Uh, it may be today that God is placing someone on your mind that you need to be praying for. And just in this moment, would you pray for that person, that family in your life? You're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you would just come before the Lord and say, I, I need to be mindful, Lord, to pray for my friend. Pray for them to be saved today. I love that Paul said, that faith 
will cause us to dare and do things that other people won't. Could your faith make you bold today? Would it cause you to see the world today? Father, we lift up those around us, those in our community, our friends. Lord, if we're truly friends of theirs, we know that we need to engage them with the gospel. Father, I pray that no one would come to Judson Baptist Church in spite of a friend, but because of a friend. Father, forgive us where we have not seen with your eyes. Father, we believe that the fields are white unto harvest and we pray for workers to go into the harvest. We thank you, Father, that you've given us the privilege of walking with you and knowing you and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, we also pray this morning for those who may be far away from Christ. Father, maybe even in our building this morning, there's someone here today who doesn't know you. Our prayer, Father, is that they would receive forgiveness for their sins today and that they would trust Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Father, we ask you in this moment to move in our hearts. Stir us on, Lord. Give us passion for what you're doing. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.